Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts, and of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Women in Influencer Marketing podcast. My name is Jesse Grossman, and I am your host. And today's episode, oh my gosh, it's really good. Um, so we've got Julie Green from Bloggist. And if you don't know about Bloggist, you absolutely should. Um, they're doing such great things in the influencer space. And I'm super excited for you to hear from Julian because she is so enthusiastic and just like an exciting person to know. Um, before we jump into this week's episode, though, I am excited to tell you all about our next masterclass. So yes, we do master classes at least once a quarter at the very minimum. And the next one that we're doing is on September 15th. And it's all about Web3 and the creator economy. So this has been such a fad. People are talking a lot about like NFTs and a lot of the people in WIM, I know for sure, know very little about Web3. Um, they know a little tiny bit about NFTs, but I'm sure not like all the possibility and all the reasons that I am personally so enthused. So I'm excited to be presenting personally our next masterclass. And we're also bringing in a special guest who is an expert in the space. I'm certainly not an expert. She is. Um, so we're going to learn together. So definitely check out our website. It's iamwim.com slash events for all the information. September 15th, Web3 and the Creator Economy. And if you are a member and you're like, oh, I really want to go, but I can't. I have my Hawaiian getaway. <laughs> or more likely, you have a bunch of meetings. Things. Don't worry because for our members, all of our masterclasses are available in a library so that you can watch them on your own time on demand. Um, you could just head to that same site. It's imwim.com slash events and you just scroll to the library. And if you miss it and you're not a member, you just you can watch it later as well, but you just have to pay a little extra because um, tickets and the replays and all that um, could be complimentary if you opted in to our membership. So definitely check it out. There's tons and tons of more events that we have coming up. All right, guys, I'm excited for you to learn a little bit more about our guest. She's a 10-year vet in the influencer industry. One of the biggest issues she struggled with as a marketer when she was the head of influencer marketing at a ton of different direct-to-consumer businesses was the lack of standardization when it came to influencer spend and understanding the true ROI of an influencer campaign. Oh my gosh, of course. So she founded Bloggist four years ago to fix this. And with thousands of influencers now in her network, many of whom she manages, they're able to pull both qualitative and quantitative insights on their business for brands to understand the expected impact they will see when working with the right influencer. So now you can understand why I think Bloggist is awesome. They're talking all about data and all about like 
justifying ROI and how you choose the right influencer. It's like it's like the perfect combination of um, of, of everything. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So I am so stoked to have you on today. We were chit-chatting like a little bit before we started recording um, and you guys have so much going on. I'm like so intrigued by Bloggist and I don't know, the different things that you guys offer, sort of like your mission. I'm really impressed with like you have a very clear mission of who you're looking to support, who you're looking to help and educate So I'm excited to get into that. But before we get into all the nitty gritty of that, I always just like to get to know our guests a little bit more personally. So I would love to just hear a little bit more from you before we get into the nitty gritty of like how you grew up, like where are you from? I want to hear a little bit more about your family and like even what you were like as a kid. I love it. Um, So I'm Julian, everyone. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, about two hours north of the city. I then went to college in Boston. But growing up, one of the things that I really was drawn to was just the heart and soul of New York City. I knew I always wanted to live in New York. I knew I always wanted to be in business. And a funny story I always love to tell, um, I think so many entrepreneurs, they share the stories of what their first business was. And so funny enough, my first job in high school, rather than a lot of my friends, I grew up in a very historic village. And actually a lot of people used to work at these different historic societies and houses and they were babysitters. But what I wanted to do was find a way that I could really challenge myself. So I was having a hard time finding a job. And interestingly enough, on Craigslist, I found this posting for someone who their responsibility was going to different restaurants and getting me a place to work. And my job was actually going to restaurants and making balloon animals for people who were at the restaurant waiting for their their dinner. So when I was 16 years old, this is my first job. I just got a car. It was a red punch buggy. I was so excited about it. And my first job was, it was my business. And I would go to the local Outback Steakhouse in Albany, New York, which is hysterical. And I would go up to people when they were waiting for their dinners and I would make them balloon animals. And one of the things that I really was drawn to was this opportunity to make people excited and happy. They loved getting to know someone who was 16 and bubbly and was just trying to be there to help make them have a great night. Um, And so I would make balloon animals for these individuals And oftentimes I'd go to people who were maybe a little older, they had a few drinks, so I knew they would tip me well. And for two hours, I would leave there with like $400 in cash. And I always hated doing it, but I was always so proud of myself once I'd leave the restaurant because I had all this money, have like 400 bucks in cash. You're 16 years old. That's amazing. And I was really proud of myself. And so when I was 16, I really started picking up on this entrepreneurial high where I think oftentimes so many of us, we kind of go into a situation and we're, we're, we're not excited about it. We dread it. But when we leave, we're so proud of ourselves. 
And that passion, that fire has really always been a core part of who I have been in my career is doing things that maybe made me feel a little uncomfortable, put me out of my comfort zone. But really, at the end of the day, I was proud of myself. So as a kid, um, I found myself in a ton of different leadership opportunities. I definitely wasn't really textbook savvy. Uh, my brother, he's in med school right now. He's the, you know, he's going to be the doctor of our family. And for me, I was always the one who kind of pushed the norms. And I actually, I, I struggled figuring out where I wanted to go to college. And I heard about this thing called public relations, which was really exciting to me. And I was like, wow, I can work with a company and share their message and share their story. And so I applied to a few different colleges and ended up getting into Boston University. And they have one of the best PR programs in the country. I could talk about um, BU for days. It's an amazing school. But really what my time at BU did was allowed me to kind of train this entrepreneurial spirit in me and really realize that if you have an idea and you want to put the work in, you can do it. So I feel like I've always kind of had this quirky entrepreneurial spirit. Funny enough and weird, I know um, you were talking about what do my parents do? My dad, he's in sales. And I think I get a lot of that um, kind of sales business energy from him. And my mom's a pastor, actually. And I think that a big part of my career to date um, has been in, in the past four years building my business at Blogist. A lot of what we do is coaching people and really working to hear their problems and gather and help them with solutions. And being a very empathetic, empathetic individual has really been important. I think I actually get a lot of that from my mom, who's a pastor. You have to be empathetic. Um, so it's, it's wild how, you know, your story really defines who you are and, and, you know, brings you to where you are today. And, you know, this influencer industry, something I, I love so much is we're writing the rules here. Like the women in influencer marketing group, we're writing the rules here in this industry. And so, you know, I think who knows what our story will be, but all these defining moments in your life, um, and really understanding like what makes you, you that can help us as, as we grow in our career. So yeah, I, I hope that's a, a helpful story. I started my first business at 16 and then and um, started my second business when I was 26, which is crazy. So yeah. I love your yeah. story so much. <laughs> it was a, it's a great story and it's so uniquely you. So yeah. I think that is so cool. Tell me a little bit more about like your entrepreneurial bug and like, what is it that you love so much about being an entrepreneur? You started at 16. I mean, yeah, it was, it, it's just fun to tell my story about like starting my first business. I think for me, I've always been someone who wants to really make an impact in the world. And so talking a little bit about my journey in PR, I actually moved to New York and worked at a leading agency, Weber Shamwick is the name. Um, and I was an account coordinator there. And, you know, for me, I spent my entire career, well, my entire time in college, you know, interning at a ton of different places. I was like the intern queen. I think I had 17 internships, which was absolutely out of control. I didn't have great grades, but I loved the opportunity to really like get to know different businesses and agencies in Boston. And so I thought that what I had to do, because that's just what you do when you are in PR, is um, you go work at a PR agency. And something that I really noticed about myself, and I find myself to be a pretty introspective person, maybe it's years of therapy, I don't know, is knowing when you're not great at something. And so, you know, I think now actually, as I have a team that's really run like an agency, I see a lot of reasons why agencies are structured the way they are, right? There's opportunity for growth, there's opportunity to really collaborate, there's a ton of different, you know, pillars within the agency. But something that I really struggled with in a very honest way is I'm really not detail oriented. Like I'm so I'm, I'm the opposite of detail oriented and my role actually, and it, it's funny kind of thinking back 
10 years ago and now where I am today. My job, I was on the Amazon retail team and my job was to do two things. So I would make these recap reports for Amazon whenever they were placed in Refinery29 or New York Times, what have you. And I, what I would also have to do is I would send um, product to these things called mommy bloggers back in the day. And so my job on Amazon, on the Amazon retail team was I would send like instant pots to mommy bloggers. And I was like, this is so cool that I, these women are building businesses around their story. And that really, it, it ignited something in me where I was like, okay, I, I want to kind of see what's going on in this world of mommy bloggers. And at the time I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. And I think it really was because I'm not detail oriented and I'm someone who has an opinion and really wants to make an impact. And so I wanted to try my hand in the world of startups because I knew agency life wasn't for me. And I think as I'm so grateful for my career journey in the world of startups, because I think when you are in a team in a business that really wants to celebrate your ideas and, you know, no matter how big our business gets, one of the core focuses for me as a founder is to make sure that everyone realizes that there is no role, like there is no idea that's too big and everyone can make an impact. And so, you know, for me, when I was an account coordinator, I was 22, I didn't really feel like in a massive agency that my voice was heard. And so I've always really found that I thrive in environments where no matter how old I am, I can make an impact. And so I think that's really been my guiding light as I've started a business is, you know, Julian, there, someone has to do it. It might as well be you um, and raise your hand and say, I want to help. Um, and I just think by nature, you know, working in the startup world, um, you have that opportunity to really raise your hand um, and say, I want to do this and I want to challenge myself. And I don't want to necessarily kind of be a part of a conventional norm. So I think if that answers your question, it's always just been a part of who I am. And I think this ability to say, you know, I see an opportunity, I want to help create a solution. I think it's so important. And now as a leader too, it's something that I really I want my team to do as much as possible because there really is no job that's too big and no job that's too small. And there's no idea that's too crazy. Let's do it if you want to do it. And, you know, I think in our industry and why I've been so drawn to the influencer industry is because it's growing and changing every single day. And so I really fundamentally believe that there needs to be more conversation and people who want to raise their hand to help because, you know, we're in an industry that needs help. We're growing daily. But also if I look back to 10 years ago, when I was sending instant pots to mommy bloggers on the Amazon retail team, some of the core issues that I had 10 years ago kind of exist today. And so, you know, I think that this industry is so exciting because you have, no matter what your role is, you have an opportunity to make a change. And so I think that's really been a core guiding light in my just excitement towards what I do every day, because you're not just sitting there sending PR pitches to journalists, you're sending, you know, you're building out these crazy strategic campaigns and you're helping people too. So I think this idea of, you know, never settling and always being someone to raise your hand and, you know, you're never too young to help someone and make an impact in a business. That's always been a guiding principle and what I look for and I strive for in a job. And ultimately, as my career grows and expands, um, you know, I hope that I can do that for other people. It's so exciting in the world of influence and marketing, like half of the most successful creators are under the age of 25. Like, that's so cool to me that, you know, age does not define your worth. Age does not define your success. Um, and for me, it's all about like, what is your story and how can you help people and how can you make an impact? So. I love that all so much. So let's talk more about the impact that you're making today with Bloggist. So 
I know that you're making an impact with your team and like people listening on this show today. Bloggist is a really incredible company and I want to hear all about it. Tell us like the latest and greatest and also just like what you guys are best known for. Yeah. So Jesse, something that resonated with me when we were talking before the podcast is being super honest and transparent. And I think that that's one of the biggest fundamental flaws and issues that I see in our industry is there's a lot of fluff, but there isn't a lot of really honest commentary about how do you create a business and how do you thrive as an influencer and how as a company do you find success working with influencers? And so I spent my career working in the D2C startup space in New York. I feel really, you know, blessed and privileged to have had that opportunity And over time, my role kind of evolved into working directly as the head of influence marketing at a leading direct-to-consumer startup. And one of the biggest things that I noticed four and a half years ago when I left the business was there was never a company, and it was very clear to me that what management was four and a half years ago, it was really rooted in this just idea of brokering deals. And I never saw, and after working with a variety of creators, a business that was actually there to help celebrate and support creators and help give them a roadmap to find success. Because the coolest thing to me about some of the most impactful creators that we have the privilege of working with is they have this incredible story to tell and what they did is they decided to share it, be incredibly vulnerable and share their story on the internet. But perhaps they weren't marketers by trade, right? And so interestingly enough, what I started doing when I worked at my last role is I started coaching creators on how do you build an actual business? Because my hypothesis has always been, and it's really going to gone to show with the brands that we've been so fortunate to work with, is the more that you can be there and we as an industry can be there to help educate creators on how do you actually build a business. And then through that, take those data points, like what's converting really well for influencers these days? Is it using Instagram stories? Is it you know posting on Instagram and driving back to a blog? The more that we can help creators really create a systematic business, and what I mean by that is, you know, not just posting on Instagram every day, but setting up strong sales funnels. So, you know, when you show up on Instagram, how do you then drive traffic to your website and how do you make money from affiliate links? Things like SEO optimization, things like Facebook groups. The more as an industry that we can create businesses that are rooted in helping creators create a true business. I fundamentally fundamentally believe, and I think that that's really been a core just beat of our business, is that's how the entire industry will thrive for a variety of different reasons. One of them is these influencers will become powerhouses. Um, and I'll definitely talk a little about our current roster and like our community of influencers that we work with. But the more that we can help them truly understand how do you create a business in a way that's helpful because I find in working with so many creators, you know, the world of the internet, it's incredibly isolating and lonely. And you're seeing what another person is doing on the internet. Like in no other career, do you see your counterparts in such a public way? Right. And oftentimes they'll see maybe this influencer did a collab with Nordstrom. Why can't I do that? And every influencer has a different business. There is no person that is the same. And in order for this industry to grow, I find 
fundamental belief that we need to help these creators truly understand how to build a business. So that's what we did. What we did is we set out to build the first ever influencer first marketplace. Um, and so the, the heart and soul of our business is really rooted in celebrating and supporting creators. And what we do through that is we've built out a service division as well as a technology division to help creators truly build their businesses in a way that can ultimately allow this industry to grow and thrive. Because coming from the brand side, I've experienced a lot of campaigns that didn't work, right? And so what would happen is I'd run a campaign because maybe I casted the wrong influencer and I didn't see the results that I wanted to. And so now what I had to do was go back to my VP of marketing and say, hey, we just ran a 20K campaign. I didn't see the results that I wanted to. And there is a variety of different reasons for that. But I think maybe it was came down to the fact that I didn't work with an influencer who had a strong sales funnel, um, or I didn't work, I didn't build out a content strategy that aligned with what the influencer thought that we should do to really drive the impact we wanted to. And so for me, when I think about how can we make the biggest impact in the world, working and helping creators truly understand how do you build a strong business so that ultimately brands, when they work with that influencer, it's going to be such an amazing campaign. They keep coming and coming and coming back. I can't tell you how many times like I talked to some of our my amazing counterparts, many of them um, who are in the, the Women in Influencer Marketing group. And so oftentimes people will say, you know, I tested influencer and I didn't see the success that I wanted to. And I fundamentally believe that's because what's happened over the past few years is there's been such polarization around this term influencer. And there's so many people who are like, I saw this influencer she made a million dollars. I want to be like that too. No one has the same business. And what unfortunately has happened is there's been some creators who have kind of gone through the back door, done things like loop giveaways to, you know, buy fake followers. And that not only impacts the influencer themselves, it impacts and hurts our industry because when a brand works that creator, what happens is they're not going to see the measurable results they want because half their followers are based in Argentina. So that's just kind of a little high level overview of how, what I'm thinking about the industry right now. But um, back to the first question around like, what do we do? So we have an influencer first marketplace, um, an influencer sign up to be a part of our business. And what we do is we help them really truly understand how do I grow? How do I build a business? And through that, uh, my business partner was a software developer. And what we did is we built out a series of tools to help influencers stay organized. Um, so if there's any managers listening to this podcast, one of the big things that we've been able to successfully build is a collaboration tool for influencers and managers so that influencers don't have to worry about all the crazy details that we experience today. Like, okay, when's the product getting delivered? What are the usage rights? What are the exclusivity terms? And we have a great project management system in our bloggist creator studio, we call it, that can allow influencers and managers to collaborate. And so the more that we can create tools and services for these creators and help them, the more that the entire creator economy is going to grow. So... I appreciate all of that so much. I think it is so cool what you guys have built. I'm probably a little biased because I'm out here on these streets, like trying to do very similar things with a different audience. And basically, like, I am all for education and empowerment and transparency. It's so important. And I am such a supporter of everything that you've done, that you're doing. I'm just excited for everyone listening to like learn more about it. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Blogist too. And I hope that they now have an even better understanding of like what you guys are all about. I want to talk a little bit about like standardization, because 
I think it's interesting that you mentioned earlier in this conversation things that I was experiencing 10 years ago or early on in my career, there many of them are still an issue to this very day. So if if things were more standardized, would that be helped? My question to you is like, do you think there should be more or less standardization in our industry? Yeah. So influencer marketing 101 that I don't think enough people talk about is when you want to run a campaign the number one and most important thing is to define what is your goal, right? So if my goal is I am like, we did a great campaign with Nike at the beginning of the the pandemic. And their goal was to activate with amazing creators who could tell a story and create advertorial content for them to use as Facebook ads and Instagram ads, right? So the goal of that campaign was to build a, you know, full soup to nut um, influencer activation where they didn't have to pay for a photographer, they didn't have to pay for a makeup artist. So the influencer did everything, right? So it was a content play. And there's so much power in that. But one of the biggest things that I think our industry is really hurting in is we're hitting a recession. Brands want to see measurable results when it comes to running an influencer campaign. And in order to do that, what you need to do is really take a step back and to say, what how will I define success from this campaign? And for me, one of the big pain points that I am experiencing, and I think our industry is really struggling with too, is how do we actually like measure the success of an influencer campaign? Because we haven't made it easy truly for influencers to really create strong sales funnels. And I don't think we as marketers and as brand marketers have ever had the opportunity to really come together and say, how do we view marketing as a part or influencer marketing, excuse me, as a part of the commerce experience, right? So to me, I think creators are the future of commerce. I fully believe that. And the reason for that is because they are curating incredible stories, right? Influencers by nature, I think about this term, Gwyneth Paltrow termed it, uh, she coined it back in the day with goop, contextual commerce. And that is what an influencer is, is they are someone who creates a story, right? Um, Jesse, I was talking to you earlier, my skin's been really dry. And so I'm currently doing this like water bottle challenge I saw on TikTok, right? So I bought this crazy water bottle. And for me, if I was an influencer, and I, we use this analogy a lot um, in our team with our clients, you know, share the things that you are personally going through. Um, because the more that you can talk about them, the more likely that someone will end up purchasing it because it's not just a random product that you ordered one day and you're like, I'm going to try it. Like it's actually something that you've consciously you've struggled with and therefore you want to try it so you can help your audience. So it's this idea of creating context around your content, contextual commerce. And I really think this is a big breaking point in our industry because over time, we viewed influencers as a brand play. And I still do believe that. Brand, influencers are a brand play. But we also need to understand what am I going to get from the impact that I am going to ultimately like see when I work with an influencer. And unfortunately, I think what's happened over the past few years is one of two things. So PR agency is they threw a ton of money at influencer, but never really kind of took a step back. And I'd like being really honest because this is the thing, these are the things and these are the struggles that we're experiencing every day. You know, beginning of the pandemic, people were throwing money at influencer, these sponsored posts. And who are we to say, no, like we don't want, we don't want to do that campaign. Like 
no, we're going to do it. But there was no fundamental, like taking a step back and saying, what is the goal I want to see? And what are the measurable results that I want to see? And so thinking back to the beginning of the year, one of the biggest things that we saw when we were having these conversations with brands is they completely cut their budgets because they all said, we didn't see the results that we wanted to last year. And therefore we're, we're pivoting our efforts. Right. But to me, in a world where I look at Facebook ads going through the roof, every like Google ads are through the roof. Influencer marketing can be such a viable marketing channel, but we haven't solved the problem of really understanding how do we give creators the best opportunities to make as much money for, as possible from selling items. And through that, give brands the data that they need to find the best creator. So if I'm a water bottle company, I want to find Julian because I know what if I were to work with Julian, you know, on my TikTok account selling these water bottles, she's the number one influencer who can sell a ton of water bottles for me. And so for me, one of the things that I'm really excited about is the conversations that are going on as we think about like affiliate marketing 2.0 and really figuring out how we can empower and give creators as much as possible for selling product. So they're not so resistant around the world of affiliate. And they're really excited to be able to create stories that they can ultimately sell these items because at the end of the day, they're making money. And now brands too can see some sort of measurable results. So a big thing that I spend my time thinking about is how can we create a, a, a world of standardization? And I know that is a really polarizing topic because of course, you know, an influencer for me, they've been around a long time. I use this kind of thought of IP and intellectual property and name recognition. The creator has been around a long time. That person, if I'm working with them, that comes with a, a dollar value because they have been spending years and years and years tirelessly building a business in a community for someone who maybe went viral on TikTok and they haven't created a strong business yet. They haven't worked with bloggers yet to create a strong business yet, right? They haven't set up different sales funnels. But to me, in order for us to find any sort of momentum and success, we as marketers need to come together and really set up baselines of how do we view influencer marketing as, a, as it pertains to overall marketing. Like something that I dream about is we get to a place where the people that work in the influencer world, there are key roles that we know we can go to to activate and engage and run the best influencer campaign. I, you know, one day I hope that I can wake up and the influencer industry is the same as like the modeling industry. There's a photographer, there's a model, there's a producer, Producer. There's standard ways that brands view working with, say, a management business. One of the things that we really struggle with is brands won't pay us for our time running the campaigns because they say that fee needs to be baked in, right? But if you're reducing influencer spend like by 50% are some of the campaigns that we're seeing right now, we're not going to like, I'm not going to be able to grow a business that ultimately helps the influencer industry. And the influencer isn't going to see any sort of impact either because the budgets are cut. And I, I get it though, because brands weren't seeing what they wanted to. And so I think that we're in this really big inflection point right now um, where influencer rates are incredibly high. And I believe that influencers need to be paid for what they deserve. But what we also need to do is have an honest conversation about impact, right? Are we as an industry, are we viewing influencers as a way to gain impressions 
are we viewing influencers as a way to just drive sales? If it's driving sales, then we're going in the wrong way because influencer, like influencers, they are not you. Like I don't buy something the first time I see a promo code. They are meant to be storytellers that can create an amazing narrative around a product like my water bottle, struggling with dry skin. I'm going to buy this water bottle and I want to talk about it all the time. And then from there, when my follower is ready to go buy a water bottle, they're going to buy from me. And so we're at this breaking point because one side of the industry views influencers as, okay, post this story. I'm going to reduce your rate. And you know, if you sell some water bottles for me, I'll pay you commission. But that in order for us as consumers to buy something, I need to see it over and over and over again, right? I'm not going to buy it in two seconds. And I need to know where to go and buy that product too. And so we've really made it difficult, unfortunately, for creators to actually do what we want them to do, which is build a story that drives impact. Because what we're doing is we're reducing their rates. And oftentimes the affiliate payouts are not even that high. It's like two to 3%, right? And so they're kind of disincentivized to even think about affiliate because they would rather get that upfront base fee to produce content, help the bottom line of their business. But through that base fee, brands are frustrated because they're not seeing like in terms of the return on their ad spend, they're not nearly breaking even and, you know, budgets are being cut. So I think when I really feel, when I think about the future of the industry, we're at this very exciting inflection point, I believe, where we need to use spaces like this podcast and use spaces like LinkedIn as marketers to have more conversations about how do we view influencer marketing and how can we create tools so it makes the influencer's life easier so that they can actually create stories that drive impact. And then through that, brands will actually see measurable results. So I think that we're getting to that place. But you know, the past two years has been a wild ride in the influencer industry. I think a lot of money was thrown to it. And now we're kind of taking a step back and looking around and saying, whoa, what just happened here? And one of the biggest observations that I see is budgets are being cut from the influencer side. I understand that because maybe the campaigns didn't run like they wanted to. But the brands never set the campaigns up in the way that they should. They weren't structured with any sort of promo code, any sort of affiliate link. So it was just these upfront fees. And now brands are doing a full 180 and saying, let's just do an affiliate program. But these affiliate payouts are ridiculous. It's like 3% commission on a water bottle. It's 20 bucks. If I'm an influencer, I'm absolutely not going to want to do any sort of affiliate campaign. And it's going to make the, the lives of brands really difficult too, because um, they're going to spend their days trying to go out and, you know, build an affiliate program. And ultimately they're going to have a really hard time landing deals because influencers, they want upfront fees. They don't want a 3% commission on a water bottle. So I really think that we as an industry need to come together, have more conversations. I'm incredibly passionate about this. Um, I think honesty and education is the most important thing. And the more that we can share just transparent feedback around, okay, you're seeing branded campaigns come in. What do those look like? What kind of influencers are landing deals right now? Um, the more that we as an industry can take the wins and help all other creators modify their businesses so they can ultimately become the powerhouses that all these brands want to see. And I really think that like creator commerce is the future. We just need to kind of work with one another to, to build out new technology to help make that happen.
Contextual commerce. That's so interesting. I mean, all I want to say is like preach and snap and, you know, your preacher's daughter too. So like, I guess that's it. Com- there you go. My preacher's daughter energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very it's passionate. coming from somewhere. It makes perfect sense. Be very proud. I love what you're saying so much. I also want to get like specific too. I, I want to hear like, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Have there been any campaigns that either you've run or been involved in or you've just observed that you think have run either particularly well or not? You don't have to name the brand, but you can if you want. And like, what do you, what have you seen that, you know, you're like, wow, that was impressive or like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. Yeah. So I'll do the bad first because I guess maybe I'm a half glass full kind of person. I'm a very honest person. So one of the things I spoke about is the fact that I want standardization, not from a measure perspective, but also from who are the human beings that work on influencer campaigns. And so at the beginning of last year, um, and I don't remember the agency, um, but they were the agency of record. And I'll just say it. Eyeglass world was the name of the, um, was the name of the company. And they're a, like a U.S. franchise, um, eyeglass store. And they wanted to activate with influencers. And one of the goals was to bring foot traffic into the stores, which I think is awesome. But when the PR agency reached out to us, one of the things that I honestly think they they should have cared more about and they didn't was truly understanding where does that influencer's audience live, right? Because if your goal is foot traffic into the store, then you need to make sure that that influencer's community lives in the area that you're actually like activating because you want them to go to the store. So that coupled with the fact that these budgets were insane and we're not going to say no to it. Like it was a six month contract and it was insane budgets. And for honestly, like it was pretty reasonable deliverables and the campaign wrapped. And I always felt that one of the biggest things, and, you know, I hope for people who are growing up in the world of PR now, and this is something, you know, I talked to my alma mater about too. I think PR has changed so much where PR and marketing really are intersecting and you can't just have an earned media lens. Like you really, if you're putting the same amount of budget into an influencer campaign as you are to say, you know, your Facebook ad spend, you need to understand a little bit of like, what are your KPIs that you're measuring against? And so we worked with an influencer and I knew that it wasn't going to drive the foot traffic. It would. And, you know, we had honest conversations with them around what were your goals and how do you define success? And they honestly couldn't articulate it. And it was strange. And I really think that's one of the reasons that we got here today was because in 2020, we were all like, you know, what else are we going to do? We're going to spend money on influencer PR agencies. were doing that really it was PR agencies, but the way that they viewed influencer is really not it doesn't align with how we I see this industry going. And it was just like this insane contract with no real KPIs attached to it. And so even working with the creator, we didn't really even understand like, what should the key messaging be? Like, how do I build a thought provoking story that over time will make my follower go to the store? Because to me, the power of a long-term partnership, it's this idea of repetition and like, priming someone with a a thought like, hey, I've been struggling with my glasses that I wear. Where can I go? And then the next post is, oh, I drove by the eyeglass world here in Texas. And okay, now I'm going to go there is my next post. And 
I think that there hasn't been enough deep conversation around with big, like large scale campaigns. What do you even do? What are the measurable results? And then how do you even like build a story narrative to make sure that it drives the greatest impact? So it was just like, it blew my mind, the amount of money and the lack of like analytical thinking that was around it. So that I would say is one of my biggest, the the biggest like red herring campaign I've ever seen. It was a huge campaign. It was just like weird. In terms of big campaigns, I want to think about that. One of the things that I hear, one of the things that really stands out to me last year too, um, I really do believe that when you get to a certain spot, influencers don't necessarily, they're not influencers anymore. Like they truly are brands. They have an IP, they have a name, there's name recognition involved. Right. And so I spent a lot of my career in the plus size fashion space. Um, I really believe that social media has the opportunity to like democratize how we view ourselves because we can see someone like us on the internet, which is so powerful and a really big retailer. I, we have a great relationship with them, but they put a big, um, kind of big emphasis around the fact that they were going to carry size double zero to five X. It might be four X, but I think five X in stores. And rather than hiring models for the campaign, what they did is they hired amazing storytellers and content creators who have spent over 10 years talking about this need for size inclusivity. And what happened was they hired this amazing creator that I feel so fortunate to work with. And she was one of the faces of the campaign. She then was nationwide in the store and also um, like shared this amazing partnership on her social channels. And the amplification was just bananas to me because what was happening was her followers were then going into the store, snapping a photo in Times Square. I see my favorite influencer in Times Square. And so for me, I really think there's this kind of second echelon to the creator economy, which is true like IP and name recognition and utilizing these individuals to be even more than a sale, like a sales driver, like their storytelling, it's, it's back to this story idea and like building a story around something that they're so passionate about will drive to lasting impact for the brand. So I'm so excited to see that a lot of companies have really pivoted to viewing influencers as like brand advocates and being that brand advocate, someone who's been on the front lines, like championing, championing, um, you know, diversity, representation, and inclusion, and actually like having extended sizes in store. What a, what a crazy concept. Um, and using that person as the face of the campaign, you know, I, if I go to a store and I see an influencer that I follow and I love, I'm going to be so excited to see that person versus, you know, maybe an econ model that I don't know. It's, she's beautiful, but it doesn't have that same social impact. Like it's not going to get that same added amplification. And so, you know, I was really proud to work on that campaign because I think the brand understood the power that that influencer could drive for them around this big activation um, because it was so much more than her being a model. It was her name and the fact that she had spent her entire career really focused on being there to make sure that brands understood how important it was um, to represent different body types, ages, and races um, as, as, a, as a brand and in their campaigns and in their product selection too. I love that so much. Um, how cool is that? I, I Interesting to hear like the different campaigns that 
are floating out. I mean, everyone's trying to reach different goals and they're really truly all over the place. And because they're so different, I think that sometimes people just lose sight of that, meaning they get so stuck in a routine of like, oh, well, I don't know, we need to do this, we need to do that. And, and they sort of lose sight of the fact that every campaign is different and therefore needs different things to be done, different types of influencers to do it. They need to like really put on a fresh set of eyes to be able to look at each campaign differently. And the thing, Jesse, I'll say too, is the, the one caveat to that first campaign is I, I empathize with a lot of people on the brand side because I know how many inbound inquiries they get from influencers and managers. And I think a lot of times it becomes a little overwhelming. And so maybe your vision can become clouded around who is the best creator to work with. So, you know, I, I look forward to a world where my poor counterparts on the brand side and agency side, like they're not inundated with influencer pitches. I think pitching is so important. Um, but sometimes what happens is they get so many pitches that like think things become a little cloudy and we need to find a better solution. So I, I think the byproduct of that, uh, that first campaign too, might've been like, someone reaching out a lot and then feeling like, okay, I have to work with this person finally. And I think it all just comes down to, we need to talk more and have more open conversations. So. Oh my God, a thousand percent, a million percent. And just people. So I don't know, people get uncomfortable about talking about hard topics. It sounds like both you and I, we mentioned that, you know, you're in therapy. I had my, you know, therapy appointment right before we got on the call today. Like, so I'm feeling good. You're feeling good. Like we're people who are comfortable talking about difficult topics. And I, I wish more people worked through those uncomfortable moments because it is truly the communication and healthy communication that really makes such a difference. I mean, we're talking a bit about like talent managers today. And like, that's my background personally. And we have a huge, incredible talent management community in WIM. And whenever I hear them getting the most frustrated or, you know, the most disheartened, if it's their business, they're saying things like, you know, this person ghosted me or things went awry. And, and I don't know, the vibe totally changed and I wish it didn't. And it doesn't have to, like things can go awry in a partnership and you can just talk about it and work through it together. I wish that people sort of felt like they were on the same team more often than they act like it because I do think it would help tremendously. I've also seen instances where people just say things like, wow, I really messed this up. If, if you could help me with this, I'd really appreciate it. And just take ownership of things that go awry. Oh my God, does that really make a huge difference? That was one of the best pieces of advice that one of my mentors gave me so early on is like, we're human and we mess up. And if you simply just like acknowledge that and take ownership of it, then it completely diffuses the situation. Whereas everybody otherwise would be like very anxious and stressed and, you know, worrying about like what we're going to do next. And, you know, maybe starting to blame people for what went wrong and who did it and whatever, simply by saying like, actually, I was the one that did it. <laughs> and like raising your hand and just taking ownership and just being human for a second. 
I've been in situations like that where other, to give other people credit where they've done that. And I'm so much more willing to like step up and really go above and beyond to help them. Because if somebody is just honest about something that they screwed up and like, you can totally relate. You're like, oh my God, girl, I've been in that situation. Like I've messed up too. And yeah, well, I'm happy to help you. Like, thank you for just being transparent. Like, I appreciate that. Have you ever sort of been in an instance like that? And communication really was key to having a partnership be successful. I think relationships and communication are the most important thing in our industry. And one of the things that I struggle with is like, you know, you go on LinkedIn and you see a lot of these performance marketing people who are like, you know, this influencer didn't perform this one time I worked with them. And I'm like, it's because at the end of the day, like you have no idea what could happen, right? Like, you know, Instagram stories, the link could stop working or, you know, the swipe up, something stops working. Like we work in the world of the internet and there's so many things that break and we need to remember that creators are human beings and they are just trying to figure it out. We're all trying to figure it out as we're building this industry. And the more that we can talk in a collaborative way, and I think back to that last campaign that was so successful, it really stemmed from having a kickoff meeting where we talked about, okay, I see this amazing creator. How can we blow this out of the park? And the more that we can talk and really understand how can we build something that works, understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, a campaign's not going to be hundred percent perfect. And there's a, it's because there's human beings involved, right? There's, you know, a product can be delayed. The photographer could get sick. Like there's so many moving pieces. And I think the most impactful campaigns are the ones where they identify a goal and then they just can say, they understand they're human beings and we're all just doing our best. And I think so oftentimes, one of the things that I, I really empathize for every amazing creator that we work with, you know, you're wearing a million hats. And I think so many people on the brand side don't realize how much they have to do, right? The the shooting, the editing, the comments, like there's so much involved. And I think a lot of people think it's as robotic as getting a product and shooting it and then sending things over. But how many, you know, press events do you have to go to? How many, you know, fashion shows do you have to go to to build this business? And so I, I think that's so spot on, Jesse, and it applies to so many parts of our industry, whether it be just how do you make a successful campaign happen you know, how do you, when you're running the campaign, you know, you have to realize that there's going to be some moments in time, it's not going to perform in the way that you think it will, because breakage happens, like the world of the internet's changing every day there, your blog could go down. Um, and I, I want to stop playing the blame game. And I want to start using our voices and thoughts to inspire each individual who is in our industry, whether it be the creator, the manager, the VP of marketing, like we're all in this together. And the more that we kind of point fingers, the, the less inspired and the more burnt out. I talk a lot to, I talk to a lot of creators daily about burnout because there's so much pointing fingers. And I really believe that we need to utilize like we, this industry, we need to, we need to surround the influencer community and know that we trust them and we respect them and we want to help them because the more we help them, the more our industry grows. And unfortunately, I don't think that that's where we are. And we really need to get there because we're all human beings and we're all doing our best. And sometimes you have a bad day. And, you know, I don't think people realize that when you are a creator, your name is tied to your business. And 
that comes with, for some reason, like brands not realizing you can have a sick day. Like if you have COVID, you can't shoot a photo. Right. And so we all just need to like realize that we're human beings and we're doing our best. And that applies to so many different elements of our industry. It really, truly does. I would love to hear from you as like one of the final questions that I get to ask you just today. And there's so much more I want to dig into. I'm going to give you like rapid fire, like a few seconds each of like business advice that you would give to influencers or their managers. Because we touched on this. So you touched on this in the beginning. And I was like, wait, this could be an entire podcast episode. (laughs) Like you mentioned things like, you know, funnels and SEO and stuff like that. And, you know, even just like running their business like a business, whatever that means to you. I'm just going to like shout out a topic and like whatever comes to mind is like the top piece of it, the best piece of advice that you could give would be amazing. Are you down? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sweet. So let's start with SEO. What's the best bit of advice that comes to the top of your mind? I want creators to really understand that um, there's this there's this uh, kind of idea of passive versus active search. And Instagram is a passive platform. I'm scrolling through I see something, I might buy it later. But the reason why Google is so freaking awesome is because if you have an SEO rich blog, if I'm going and this dress is from Abercrombie, I'm searching floral dresses from Abercrombie blog. If you have an SEO rich blog and you really spent the time to do your due diligence, your blog is going to come up on the top of that search page. And the likelihood of them buying from you is exponentially greater. So I want you to really understand that at the end of the day, as a creator, you are a business. And one of your roles is to, if you want to, is to create content that can ultimately like help people and you know curate items that they can buy. And the power of SEO and blogs is the fact that people are physically searching for that topic. And if your blog comes up, the likelihood of them buying from you is so much greater. So much greater. All right. Next topic, funnels. Let's talk about funnels for a second. Like what's some advice that comes to the top of your mind when I when we talk about funnels? Um, I want you as a creator to really train your audience to buy from you. I say that with like so much emphasis. Um, the people that I admire the most. So there's an amazing creator who I feel fortunate to have worked with from day one. Um, she had 10,000 followers when we met. She now has over 300,000, has one of the most amazing businesses of anyone I've met. Her name's Carolyn Moran. She's an amazing influencer. And what she has done is she's given her community the opportunity to easily buy and act upon what she's sharing. And the reason for it is because she's trained them to know where to go. So her core focus is really helping women understand how to find the best fitting undergarments. And she has this amazing shop section on her website. It's so simple. It's so straightforward. But when they're ready to go buy a bra from Alomi, they know I'm going to go to Carolyn's website and I'm going to click her link because she has everything that I need. And so the more that you can train your audience to know, where do I go to shop? Where do I go to shop? They're going to go to you before any other creator. So make it easy because I think a lot of times creators think, oh, it's I'm going to bug people like, oh, go to my website to shop, go to my website to shop. No, because your business is going to keep growing. More people are going to hit your Instagram account. More people are going to hit your TikTok account, right? And the more that you can give them the tools to actually act upon what you're talking to them about, well, the less annoying DMs you're going to get from your followers because saying, hey, where do I get that dress? 
train them to go to your website or your LTK account where they know they can buy those items because it's going to increase your affiliate revenue and it's going to increase your additional income streams, which that's what you want as a business owner. It's going to make your life easier too, because your community now knows where to go. So set the stage, create a place where your community can easily shop from you and train them to go from your Instagram stories, your link in bio to your website. So they know where to shop. Definitely. And I also want to say, like, I feel like this applies to like non-traditional influencers as well. Like, you know, like if you just are an entrepreneur, you have your own business, whatever it is, like train people to go to a certain place to purchase whatever you're selling. So, um, this really applies to everybody. Okay. Two more topics that I want to hear about. The next is negotiations. What do you have to say about negotiations? I will say time and time again, whenever a brand reaches out, be nice and do not just say, here are the rates. What I want you to do is I want you as a manager, and I hear this from our amazing brand counterparts all the time. The reason they love working with my team is because we're professional and we're data-driven and we're kind, and we want to make sure that the brand can see the greatest success. So don't just say, this is the influencer's rates. That's incredibly transactional and completely goes away from the core of what influencer marketing is, which is relationship-oriented. So as a manager, I want you to say, what are your goals? How can we make this? What, what do you want to see from this activation? And what we want to do is we want to tailor the rates to make sure that they align with your goals. So do you want to use these images as ads? Do you want exclusivity? What are your goals? And really make sure, I mean, the rates will probably be the same, but make sure that the brand feels like you are creating a tailored campaign for them based on what you know will work with the influencer. And be nice. Just be kind. Don't be an a-hole. Like, be nice. And that's how you're ultimately going to build the best relationship and negotiate the best rates for your client too and for your team. I love that so much. That's so good. Um, my last question for this like lightning round, I want to hear about growth. Everyone's looking like how to grow, how to grow. You talked about loop giveaways earlier. I'll just preface it. And I think you'll agree. Like, don't do loop giveaways. No, do not touch with a 10-foot pole. No. Don't do that. But if there are other strategies or like best practices to think about, consider, or implement in terms of growth, what would you say? So this is where I put my social media hat on because I spent my days in my early career running brand influencer, uh, brand Instagram accounts, excuse me. Um, I think TikTok is a completely different ballgame than Instagram, but I'll talk about Instagram because I do think that's where the majority of money is still going, which is amazing because there's so much community there. Um, but as a, as a brand, as an influencer, and one of the reasons why I think brands should work with influencers more is because in order to grow on the internet, you need people with like-minded audiences to talk about you. So oftentimes you'll see creators have like friends that they talk about a lot and most likely they all have the same followers. And so one of the most impactful methods that we found for our creators to grow is identify a topic that you like. Maybe you are, you know, a parent, a mommy blogger, you're a parenting influencer, and you want to try your hand at cooking. Do some sort of cross collaborative, cross collaborative, excuse me, giveaway or some sort of activation with maybe a chef who has an amazing following and has like-minded followers who want to learn about you. So rule of thumb, when it comes to growing on the internet, having people with relevant followings who kind of have, who have some impactful crossover to you 
that will help grow your following. Don't just work with someone who has literally the same following as you because it's going to be a slow slog to get there. Um, work with people who have some crossover and do something impactful. Do a Instagram live, do a TikTok collaboration. Um, you know, back in the day, the way that beauty vloggers grew is by doing, they would have a beauty vlogger who had a really successful channel come on their channel and then they would promote that video on their channel. Have someone impactful talk about you. It's a surefire way to grow. Perfect. 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 I love that so much. Um, and these are like safe ways to grow. These are tried and true ways to grow, but you will grow if you follow that advice. So, and look, I will also say this, like I'm talking all about growth, but let's also caution people to say that like, it's not always about like follower growth per se. For example, you and I are both in influencer marketing. And for anyone who might not be so experienced with it, um, you know, it's more about like the health of your audience. It's more about the engagement of that audience, not necessarily the overall growth of the audience. So just it's all about the community. It's all about the community. Yeah, totally. I have a feeling that our listeners are definitely going to want to get in touch. Um, and so what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Julian Green. Um, you can send me an email, julian at bloggers.co. Um, I love talking about influencer marketing on LinkedIn. So you can follow me on LinkedIn, talk a lot about just the honest things that we're seeing. Yeah. So send me an email, follow me on Instagram, follow me on LinkedIn. Love, love to get to know you and kind of talk a little bit more about this amazing wild industry that we're in. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining today. Any parting words before we end the episode today? I just think the more we can talk and be super honest, the more we'll be able to evolve as an industry. I'm really excited about what the future holds for, you know, myself, the the industry, the business, like overall, just, you know, this industry is so exciting to be in. And I, I want more smart, just individuals like the, like you, Jesse, and everyone in the WIM group to come together and talk more um, because I think it's so important. So I agree. And like, I love this conversation. There's so much more to say. So I look forward to people reaching yeah. out to you. We'll get you involved in way more. And just thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.